My name's TJ Cowgill, and I perform uh, as King Dude. And uh, I was on tour in Europe when uh, COVID-19 broke out. And uh, luckily, I was in Stockholm when the last show... We tried to play every show we could, but uh, countries were restricting the amount of people that could go. And before you knew it, we were sort of trapped in Stockholm. And uh, we decided to stay because uh, it seemed easy enough to get around. Restaurants were open. Uh, we could still still walk around in the streets, so we, we stayed. I'm but, so happy to have you here. Yeah, thank despite you. Despite the circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty odd circumstances, I, I suppose. But I, I suppose Stockholm is a nicer place to be in right now than, say, New York or even... You're, you're from Seattle. Yeah, we, we were, and we were in Linköping before, so we were almost stayed there, but... Linköping, nope. my hometown. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but we decided to come here because we still had one show booked and it was like, yeah, uh, it, we had one last show in Sweden and, and uh, just at the last minute it was canceled by, by the government. So you've been here for, for about a month? Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about Sweden? I love Sweden. I, I've been here quite a bit in yeah, the you past. Had, you've yeah. played here a lot yeah, before. Yeah, and I lived here for a little while. Um, a couple years ago. How and, long did you stay for then? Well, not too long, about three months. And it was in Sundsvall, which is kind of far away from, from you know, a big, it's, I guess, the last big city. You lived in Sundsvall for three months? For three months, yeah, during a winter, too. So it was just, like, dark and snowy the entire time. And I stayed in, inside and I just worked on a record. Okay, uh, I, had, I had no idea about that. So you just wanted to get, get into some kind of wintry black metal mood in the, in the yeah. <laughs> Swedish darkness. I guess so, yeah. And it worked out well. I got a lot of work done. I don't mind that isolation thing that other people complain about, about, you know, Sweden and or how people are, you know, isolated from one another. It kind of works out well for me. I don't mind it at all. Do you think they are, you know, isolated mm. from... Because that's what lots of people say, that Swedes won't talk to each other. That they, they're friendly, but they won't talk to strangers. And they, um, if someone bumps into you in a store, they don't apologize. They right. just say, oops. Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed that. It's quite different than where I'm from in uh, America, from Seattle. I mean, people just walk up to you on the street in Seattle and just say, hi, what's your name? I mean, that's, that's how weird. I mean, if you could imagine that people don't really do that here. And I, I don't mind it, you know, it's nice. I once spoke to um, Greg Poehler, who's mm-hmm. he's the brother of Amy Poehler, the comedian. Okay, he, yeah. He lives here in Stockholm. Yeah, he, he made that show. Uh, he made a show called uh, Welcome to Sweden. Yeah. Anyway, he, he said that the thing that all Swedes asked him was, what did you think about Sweden before you moved here? And he had to tell them that, well, you know, I never thought about Sweden. You know, who <laughs> thinks about Sweden? How, how often do you think about Zimbabwe? You know, why would I think? Yeah, yeah. I guess that I, I knew some stuff about Sweden because of black metal. You know, I, in my old band, I did a tour with uh, Watain for a month. Yeah, I was in a death metal band and we, we did a tour in the United States with them for a month. So, I mean, if, if that's your indoctrination into Swedish people, it's... it's uh, all people are exactly like Watane here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little unconventional, but, you know, certain things, I, I guess, I, I learned from, from hanging out with them about Swedish people. Your mother was a mechanic working on aeroplanes. She still is, yeah. She still is. Well, she teaches now, yeah, for Boeing. 
the Boeing company. It sounds like you know it must have been a very male dominated job back at least back in the eighties. Or... Yeah, absolutely. When she was uh, going for that job and trying to get the job, I think she was one of the first few women who worked on airplanes. At, at you know the big the big rollout, kind of like the big seven four sevens and stuff like that. And she was actually on the planes working on them. But yeah, it was she. There was a lot of hurdles, I think, for her. A lot of obstacles. And uh, but now it's. Um, I think it's a little bit more balanced. So she worked in a factory in mm-hmm. Seattle. Yeah. Well, uh, it, I think in Everett. But yeah. And your father was a born again Christian. Yeah, he wasn't always. He used to be like a real party guy, you know. But I guess he partied too hard, and had and then to, Jesus saved him. Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's good though. Yeah, in a way, I, I think it's it was better for him. He's mellowed out too. He's not as, uh, you know, heavy-handed with a Bible these days. You know, as people get older, I think they kind of mellow, you know, one way or the other. But he he was more devout when you were growing up. Yeah, we we when I uh, since my parents were divorced and they lived in Oregon, I had to go to spend my vacations from school with my dad, and uh, so it's not much of a vacation when you have to go to church like three times a week, and. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, I I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was a good experience. I think it was an enriching experience. I know that your father once showed you this Christian propaganda video of yeah. saying that, you know, TJ, you need to, you know, stop listening to this stuff. And yeah. ac- according to the video, there, there were secret <laughs> satanic messages in nearly all mainstream pop acts. Yeah. I remember one... What was on the tape? Yeah, it was like Madonna and Prince, you know, your your classic kind of... Um, you know, really evil secular music. But one that stood out was that I never saw before was Ecstasy, XTC. That uh, song, um, there's a music video where he's like pounding on a tree with a hammer. And it's, uh, I forget the name of the song, but it's, uh, it's you know, I was like, wow, I wonder what that band's about. It, the thing about showing you, showing kids this propaganda is, you know, if they want to rebel at all, it's a jump-off point. So, I mean, I was always interested in in music from a pretty early age. I'd say from, like, the third grade. I think I got my first Guns N' Roses tape, and that kind of set me off a, you know, spiral uh, into rock music. And, and, and even before that, we liked rap music, we liked NWA, but it was kind of like in the background, you know, I wasn't, it was just kind of where we grew up and what people listened to. But yeah, I think after I, I was showing some of that propaganda, I got more interested in the darker side of music and, and uh, what it could mean, what, how, there, how, it's, how there's more than just one layer to what you're listening to. And how you could actually put satanic yeah. messages yeah. in a very, you know, poppy context. Sure. Yeah, why not? What, think, what a backfire! <laughs> yeah, it's a seriously, it's a it's a tough fight to try and win that way. I think for Christians, how did your f- Christian father react to you joining a black metal band? Oh, he didn't like it. I mean, the, but I think that was my the one of the intended effects of why you know I wanted to kind of piss off my parents, you know, or piss off that side of my family because um, I was mad about Christianity. I didn't like it at all because of the exposure, the kind of church I went to is like... And what kind of church was that? I think it was a... I forget the... I think it was an Assembly of God church, which you might not know that exact... It's a fundamental Christian kind of 
revelatory, speaking in tongues, laying on hands, uh, real, you know, not Baptist, not, you know, not like Southern Baptist, but um, a lot of strange things happened in that, in a church like, or, or can happen in a church like that. I'm not saying all churches are like that, but this one in particular was a little, it's a small town, you know, Hermiston, Oregon, it's like population 20,000 people. So the church was pretty bizarre and uh, very heavy handed, you know, very strict. It was very difficult for me to, uh, to even like get my hands on anything outside of what they wanted me to listen to, whether it's music or read. You know, I had to kind of clear everything with them. So I, I was angry. Did you try to, like, believe to make your father happy? No. No, because I think that I did I did read the Bible really early on, or the, at least Genesis, you know, and tried to make sense of it. But um, that book, it doesn't clearly make sense. You know, it's written by a lot of different people. It doesn't really matter what, if you're talking Old Testament or New Testament, it doesn't, it, it, it's not meant to make sense like a normal book would. It's meant to be allegorical and, and, and enriching that way. And, you know, I was like eight or nine when I tried to read it and make sense of it, of the New Testament. And uh, no, I just, it didn't resonate with me. So you read the Bible and then you joined a band called the Book of Black Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I was in a different band before that called Teen Cthulhu. That's one of the best band names I've ever heard of. <laughs> Teen Cthulhu. Yeah, it's pretty nerdy. H.P. Lovecraft inspired. But. Yeah, yeah. We, we all loved H.P. Lovecraft in that band. And we read a lot of, you know, horror and sci-fi and stuff. And, and we just thought it was so funny to think of a, a teenaged Cthulhu, like, you know, in his less formidable years. And uh, Cthulhu, his, of course, is the demon that H.P. Lovecraft writes about to his... Right. Uh, um, sleeping on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and it's so huge, right? And it's all, it has tentacles coming out of its face and its giant wings. And, and it, you can't see it all at once if you try and look at it. You know, it doesn't matter which way you turn your head. It's so huge. So we, it, I thought it was funny to think of it, you know, with zits and being awkward. And I used to play that role-playing game, The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Where, you know, if you see a demon you have to roll the dice to determine whether you lose your mind completely because you you go insane mm -hmm. which is right up the whole lovecraftian that's the whole tip of it you know that's that's what it's all about it's like the cosmic horror losing your mind yeah <laughs> Now we're listening to Dwayne Eddy, Girl on Death Row. Her eyes were once so full of dreams Her young heart filled with lovers' schemes Now every second she must borrow 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, I always thought of it as a duet. I never really understood when I first heard this track which is years ago like I thought of it as a as a duet but it's not really a duet because uh, uh, Lee Hazelwood produces it right yeah he, he wrote it he wrote he, it um, I think there's a version that Lee Hazelwood sings as well and but this of course is Dwayne Eddy this is Dwayne Eddy's version and uh, yeah I just love it it has this vibe that it could work as a duet you know where like it's two guys singing about the same girl who's locked up you know, for a crime, maybe she. And I, lo- I love the other version or the uh, or the other aspect of the song where it's like, uh, the chorus is, "Is she guilty? I don't know." The girl on death row. It's like, um, she's a pretty bad, bad lady, and uh, this guy's super in love with her. It's it's pretty great. You don't really hear that dynamic as much, you know, in songs. You hear it the other way around when girls are singing about how how bad her man is, you know. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the songs that they used to call death discs in the 60s. Yeah. Very tragic stories about teenagers being killed in car crashes. Yeah, teenage tragedies. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of those. Leader of the Pack. and Leader of the Pack, all those girl groups. Tell Laura I Love Her. Tell Laura I Love Her. Um, The one about the girl with brown eyes and she, and the plane crashes and he's there to pick her up at the airport. What's that one? Ah, there's so many. But they, they seem to come out in the late 50s leading up to the 60s. And uh, it was kind of like everybody was lamenting the death of the 50s of this wholesome era, you know? And it was almost like people that were writing those songs were predicting the dark, the, the darkness that was gonna come with the 60s, I think, of the hippie movement and this radical rock and roll stuff. So I really like it, that, that teenage tragedy um, era is perfect. I'm a huge Lee Hazelwood fan. What, mm-hmm. what I love about his songs is that they're, they're almost always on the, like, on the edge of being camp. Yeah. You know, they kind of become ridiculous, but it's still big drama. It's still very powerful. Yeah, and he made that weird transition from producer to artist. Yeah, and which, then he ended up here in Stockholm after, right. you know, he tried to... He failed to, you know, follow the big success of These Boots Are Made For Walking. And then right. he started making A Cowboy in Sweden, which is a great album. What, and was he, wasn't he here to dodge the draft or something? Uh, well, he, he was here to dodge his son's draft. Oh, his son's he, draft. He was yeah. afraid that his son might be drafted, so he, he moved here. Mm. 
right, because he would have been too old for that war at the time, right? I, I think so. Yeah. And he, he wrote this great song about, um, you know, why you should say no to the war. Um, and he uses a train that. as a metaphor for, like, draft dodging. And the song is called There Ain't No Train to Stockholm. Oh, right. It's on that uh, Sweden and Cowboy. It's right? on that right. Or Cowboy in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Someone asked you why you left the metal scene. Yeah. And you, you gave two reasons. Number one was that the, the amps are too heavy to move. Yeah. And number two was that the green rooms at metal clubs... And I quote, smell like broken dreams and have walls covered with crudely drawn penises. <laughs> how, how depressing. <laughs> that is, it's true. And uh, it, it holds true today. <clears throat> A lot of those metal clubs or even rock clubs are just depressing, you know, to be in. I don't think people really realize how depressing it is for you know, a musician to get to a place. And it's just like a bare exposed bulb, a light bulb in, in a room that smells like piss. And then people have drawn dicks all over the walls and you know it's just i don't know it's after a bit you get a little sick of it it's not as charming as it was when i was young but if you go to like a gothic neo-folk club would the penises and the walls be more elegantly drawn at least yeah <laughs> or um what was it i was in poland once and i was playing at this club in Wroclaw, i think Wroclaw, and a I walked in the dressing room. There's no graffiti on the walls. And I was like, that's impossible. This is so nice. And I, I walked all the way in the back. I was looking for graffiti. And I walked up to this. I saw somebody had written something in English. And I walked up to it and it said, imagine a dick drawn right here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. So it's still kind of here. But it's, it's true. You just see it over and over again. And it's really, really kind of depressing. You're from Seattle. And you were about 10 years old when grunge rock became huge yeah with, you know bands like nirvana soundgarden yeah pearl jam how did that affect you like being a kid in that city at that point it was huge i think because i uh, well before that i didn't think you could be from seattle and be in a band i didn't know that that was a uh viable way to be in a band because I, I always thought that you had to go to los angeles or or new york mostly because of that guns and roses video Appetite for Destruction. I saw I saw that video when I was young, and I really liked Guns N' Roses. And then I saw that video, and I I saw you know Axl Rose in that video. He gets on a bus from like Indiana or something. He's got like a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth, and he goes and he gets out of the bus, and like you know it's like Skid Row in Los Angeles, and he just progressive uh, or I guess regressively turns into this like demon woman by the end of the video he's just like looks like he's on heroin and his hair is all big and he's wearing eye makeup and and i thought that's what you had to do and i didn't want to do any of that to play music so i just kind of gave up on it and then i i remember my brother was watching mtv and they and there was this it was nirvana smells like teen spirit because that was all over when it when that blew up and it was all over tv and the radio and i go what is this band he goes that's nirvana they're from seattle And I go, I didn't think bands could be from Seattle. And he literally was like, just turned to me. He's like, yeah, bands can be from anywhere, you idiot. Like, you don't have to, you know. And I was like, oh. So it, and immediately I tried to get a guitar after that. And that sort, of, that sort of set me on the path of actually playing music. Were you good in school? No, no. For the most part, I didn't like it. And so I didn't go that much in high school. So you, you went to high school and then you started to work in a video store, right? Oh, I had so many jobs before that. 
I worked at a pizza shop. That was my, my first real job. Got paid $4.10 an hour at a place called Pizza Time in White Center in Seattle, in the South End. And then I just worked nonstop. I worked at a pet store and a, another Italian restaurant. And then, oh, wow, I worked in so many places, I can't even remember. Uh, While trying to get Teen Cthulhu going. Yeah, basically around yeah. that same time. Oh, I did get a job. I worked really hard to get a job at a record store in West Seattle. And I worked there for a long time. Well, a long time for me. I think I worked there for like four years or maybe like three years. So what was it like to work in a record store? It was amazing. I mean, I loved music and uh, and I didn't really know much about it. And so the, for them to give me a job there, it was really, it changed my life. You know, it was the first time I heard Roxy music. You know, first time I heard anything um, outside of what I would consider to be my wheelhouse of punk and, and uh, hardcore and stuff like that. And it completely changed me. You know, it's the first time I heard Nick Cave or anything like that. You know, it was at, at that place, Easy Street. And it, yeah, it changed my life. I, I, I got way into music and I realized, it, you know, you could really make it. Yeah, and one of the bands I heard uh, while working there was Os Matantes. And uh, this song is called Ave Lucifer. As maçãs envolvem os corpos nus Nesse rio que corre em veias mansas dentro de mim Anjos e arcanjos pousam neste Éden infernal Os Mutantes, the Brazilian psychedelic rock band from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, and I believe they were like sort of had a bit of a renaissance, you know, like they were, I don't know their exact history of the story, but I think they kind of came, you know, they were obscure and then they were revived somehow by a record label. Was it Light in the Attic? I don't know, one of those record labels found them and, and brought them back. Well, and it's just so beautiful that even if they are talking about Lucifer as Satan, it's still so nice, you know. How did you discover the more folky, dark country music that you explore with uh, as King Dude? Well, I, I was, uh, I was at playing in Book of Black Earth at the time and, and we weren't really able to get together and rehearse or do anything good ever because we were all kind of burnt out, you know, drug addict people. And so I started to just, I had an acoustic guitar at home and my roommate and I just started to write these little songs, you know, these little folk songs. And I, we recorded them and I kind of really started to like them. But my approach to those songs, well, it wasn't serious, first of all. It was just uh, for fun, you know. And uh, the songs were really short and kind of silly about stupid things. And and uh, But I didn't know anything about like neo-folk or dark folk or anything like well, that. To people listening who are not familiar with the term, what is neo-folk? Because it's not yeah. regular folk music. I think I think Douglas P. from Death in June kind of um, set the 
standard for what people consider to be neo folk. But I don't I don't really know. I'm not an authority on it. I don't feel like I I play it either. I I think it's like a well, it sounds like it stems from like British folk, and it has um, sort of this um, sometimes militant looking edge to it, or, or uh, I guess aesthetic. But I mean, what it is, it, it, it sounds like just really well. It sounds like Death in June usually, and Death in June often come across as very militaristic and right. fetishistic. Also, there's always this kind of sexual ambiguity <laughs> to well. Doug P is a sexy guy. Can't help it, <laughs> but I think yeah. But there's like you know the like the ritual sexual feeling where it's uh, and it feels kind of sacred in a way. Yeah, I think that's religious. what people like about it. Yeah, is is it, it is it does feel really important and it's serious and it's not. It does. I mean it it uh, it doesn't take itself too serious. It does. See, the fans seem to take themselves very seriously, but they're there does seem to be so much comedy to it to me as well. Like when I, like some of those bands are, you know, they, how could they not laugh at themselves? I think, but, but they don't seem to do it on, on the outsider in their outward persona. If I were to play like serious, dark neo folk about very important subjects, the last name that I would ever pick would, it's probably King dude. Right. Yeah, and so how did you come up with that? Because it, it, well, it, it wasn't ever meant to be a neo folk project. It was just weird. Uh, I guess okay. So yeah, back to I, I hadn't heard any bands like that, but my roommate's girlfriend told us that the recordings we were making sounded like Current ninety three. She was kind of goth, and I'd never heard Current ninety three, and I was like, that sounds like a terrible band name. And she's like, well, it also kind of sounds like Death in June, and I was like, also that sounds terrible. But we had already decided to call it King Dude at that point. So there was no going back. It sounds like an 80s rapper in a way. Yeah, that's I like that. <laughs> we I, I like to think King Dude should have been like an a acapella group of like four really sweaty guys in leather jackets and no shirts just doing barbershop quartet harmonies. It's that would have been better. It's fascinating how you can, you know, create something without being influenced by, you know, and a particular artist, and then someone will come to you and say, this sounds just like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and that's what, And then I went into the, you know, the wormhole of listening to all that uh, neo-folk music, and I loved it. And uh, then I ended up writing Kim Larsen from Of the One of the Moon, a good band from Denmark. And uh, he, I sent him some of my music over MySpace because this was back in the MySpace days. And he, wrote, he surprisingly wrote me back and said he really liked it. And we did a split seven inch and then it was like too late. And then I was kind of like, you know, people thought I was that kind of uh, a neo-folk band. But I've never really felt like I, I'm, I've always felt like an outsider in it, in the whole thing. And I, I'm, I you know, often am treated like an outsider, which is fine too, but... Uh, <laughs> Because you know, there's a lot of trap. Tra- there's a lot of pitfalls in that scene. I would say, like what? Well, like people will assume that you're either a racist or, um, you know, some sort of right wing psychopath, which I don't think is true of, of many of those people. I think that they're interested in certain things, elements of, you know, the occult or or, or the military, and they incorporate it into their artwork. But you know. As 
no, these are the most leftist guys I've met, you know. Now, after almost 10 years as, as King Dude, has King Dude become like a, a character that you interpret? A bit like, you know, how David Bowie would become the Thin White Duke. Yeah, I try not to let it become a character or or a persona. I just try and be myself in it, in the band. But yeah, people put stuff on you and then you kind of, you could wear those things, you know, like I'm a, you know, whiskey drinking, you know real like american blah blah john wayne kind of you know that's all that you know that's smoke and mirrors it's not true i mean i do drink whiskey but yeah and there's certainly some kind of you know american sensibility to to the songs where, right you know I, i know a lot of people who hear you instantly think of true detective the tv series oh right like this sounds like true detective yeah i just wish i could get that true detective money Я заливаю глаза керосином, пусть все горит, пусть все горит. На меня смотрит вся Россия, пусть все горит, пусть все горит. Я заливаю. Uh, this is a band from Moscow. I think they're from Moscow, and I love it. It's really weird. They're called Ice Peak, and the song is called Death No More. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I, I can't remember what the lyrics were exactly, but it's something like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in my house smoking a joint while the police will come and take you from the square. It's, it's, it's just weird. I mean, I love Russian pop music. and The way she whispers yeah. reminds me of, uh, you know, Yolande yeah. in uh, The Antwort. Yeah, yeah. The South never, African band. Yeah, I've never really listened to them. Uh, but of course, I've heard their stuff and I, they always get that comparison. But I don't know why I like this more this, than... This is, this is more industrial or 
colder in a way. Yeah, it's, it's more like trap too. I think it has more of a trap element. I heard that they've had some problems with the authorities, that they've been arrested or they've had their show stopped. I think that's just Russia. true in Russia. You know, I, I mean, the Orthodox Church there, it kind of, you know, the, it blurs the lines sometimes between um, real authorities and, and people that are just really, uh, I guess, obligated to the church that work in authority type jobs there so you know they, they, there's like a unorthodox militia and, and they do they do unsanctioned things i mean it's it's a bizarre place it's not far from here i think we're we could technically we could walk to russia well you have to walk through finland through finland first walk up a very long way and <laughs> turn and then go down again so it would be easier to go on the ferry right but we're close to st petersburg it's not that far no but yeah. it, it feels far Culturally, yeah, it sure does. Even now, more than ever, you know. Do you get over there ever? I've never been to Russia. It's awesome. I go uh, usually once a year to play, and it's great. I love that country. I was surprised because I, I was um, trying to you know read about you online, and. Um, It turns out that there's no English Wikipedia page about you. But yeah. there, there's one in German, there's one in Polish, <laughs> and there's a really, really long one in Russian. Wow, that's awesome. I don't know what they say. But there's <laughs> I don't I don't write I mean, a lot of times like I think bands with Wikipedia pages, you know, they they write them or their management writes them. Yeah, but I, I guess most of you, you must have a pretty strong following in Russia. Yeah, I think I think the all of Eastern Europe they they like it. You know, and um, I've, I used to try and figure out why, and I just gave up because I can't figure it out. I don't know why. I, I, I maybe because I go there. You know, a lot of bands won't go go to these places. I think they should. It's funny that something so American should appeal to them, and maybe they, you know, like to think of you as this cowboy character, even though you're not. Yeah, I think that could be it. It might be that machismo element to the music, but. I mean, I like I speak. My friends like I speak, and my American friends love it. So, I think it's just foreign. Maybe if something seems foreign enough, you know, they didn't really have country music, you know. One band that your music made me think of was Sixteen Horsepower, oh, David yeah. Eugene yeah. Edwards. Yeah, yeah. He uses a lot of biblical imagery, yeah. lots of things from the Bible, and yeah, he's Testament. a Christian. He's very, a very devout Christian. A Gnostic, I think. Yeah, a Gnostic Christian, I think. You seem to be a little less Christian, perhaps more into the occult. Yeah, I think though uh, I did tour with them. You know, uh, not Sixteen Horsepower, but Woven Hand, and uh, David and I get along great. I mean, it wasn't wasn't an issue at all. Uh, I mean, I don't even think our views probably vary that much. We probably see things uh, in a more similar way than than maybe your average Christian and he would see things. But what are your views? Well, I'm Luciferian. I consider myself a Luciferian, which is a, it could be a lot of things. Um, it's hard to it's to unpack it all here and now. It would take some time, but um, it's not too far off from a Gnostic Christian's viewpoint of, of the world, you know. And it has some. It's rooted. My beliefs are rooted in in some of that uh, early uh, Gnosticism, like the stuff that the Cathars tried to put f forward and. Uh, around the 11th century in southern oh, the, France. The Cathars who were prosecuted by... 
The Catholics, yeah. There was a crusade, a very successful crusade led out against them, I think around the 11th century. And uh, they were basically wiped out. So what we know about them is what survived, you know. But they were yeah. Christians. They just interpreted right. the they gospel in a different way. Radically different way. Radically different. For instance? Well, like Christ never existed. Oh. <laughs> so that, well, not, not in the way that, not in the flesh. He couldn't have. In, according to the Cathars viewpoint. You know, in, in Swedish, the, the word heretic is mm -hmm. uh, kjattare, which comes from, um, it's derived from katarer, cathars. Oh, strange. So, so the word heretic is um, cathars in Swedish. That's awesome. That's, that's cool. I didn't know that. So There's they, a lot of witch burning here. Yeah, we burned a lot of witches. Yeah. Somebody told me that there was some like massive blood bath thing in in gamlestan in gamlestan yeah what was yeah, that about the stockholm bloodbath stockholm bloodbath I, I think uh the king killed off a lot of um people connected to the court or you mm. know important um aristocrats right but what's the difference between like luciferianism and satanism well there could be a lot yeah you'd have to start with what what kind of satanist you're talking about because there's different kinds of satanists now it's not all levian anymore we have the temple of satan now which is the temple of satan is uh basically an atheistic group that kind of pretends to be a, a religious organization in order to get their tax exempt status and to be treated like a religion but doesn't seem to be like um Levian. Yeah, and you're basically sort of... I'm neither of those. No, no, I, I know. And you, you, you're even um, criticizing them on your latest album in some ways. There's a song called The Satanic Temple where you sing, it don't mean shit to the kids who all know they invented it. I, I would interpret that as, you know, that the Satanic Temple is um, basically not religious, that it's more of an activist political thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you could... You and, could and, yeah, they, that's and they fair. kind of claim that they... I think it's critical of uh, of everybody involved in that whole yeah. argument, and it's like self-critical as well. I mean, it's it's critical of anybody who says I know how to do something right, and you don't know how to do it, and everybody's kind of guilty there, uh, it, it, which is a reoccurring theme of occultists. I find like anybody who's interested in esoteric thought, they tend to end up thinking that they have to be an authority on it and not a student of it, and that kind of leads to I guess, the mistreatment of others, you know? The King Dude album Burning Daylight was inspired by something called The Great Disappointment. Yeah. W what was that about? Well, in the, I think it was the 1890s, there was a, a movement, like a, forget the guy's name, but they, they basically, they decode the Bible, the book of Revelations, and they, they discover when Jesus Christ is going to come back, and they figure out it's an exact date. And they went around, all around America, uh, convincing people to give up their farms, give up their, their livelihoods and, and come and spread this word and give, you know, give themselves up and to uh, this movement. And what ends up happening is that date rolls around and, and the world doesn't end and Christ doesn't come back and it was known as the Great Disappointment. But the fallout of that is pretty interesting because the church obviously like disbands uh, They become, I think, Seventh-day Adventists. But some of the church leaders are literally tarred and feathered. 
which is just crazy. Like that, that's how mad people were at them. Well, they were upset because they, yeah. you know, they gave up their whole lives. They, <laughs> <Yeah. gave> up, <laughs> they just, sold the farm and then it just didn't happen. Um, and if you've ever seen the poster that they would put up when they go town to town and the flyers that they distribute, it's amazing. And it's just, it, it looks like the most insane schizophrenic rambling of like, you know, this number plus this number equals, you know, that, I don't know if you've seen it, you should uh, maybe put it in the notes or something. But You've also written a few songs inspired by this 60s group called The Process Church of Final Judgment, yeah. which was from England. And I only know of them because I know that there's a band called Skinny Puppy from Vancouver. Yeah. They yeah. had an album called The Process, which right. years ago I learned was inspired by this obscure church. Yeah. What were they about? Uh, well, the, the, they started off, it was uh, Robert de Grimson and his wife. Uh, they were Scientologists. Oh. And they realized in England, and they kind of realized that they could do it themselves. So they stole an e-meter and they fled the church and uh, they changed it to a, the name of it from an e-meter to a p-meter. And they began the process. That's brilliant. Steal, yeah. Stealing from the most evil capitalist organization ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Well, and, you know, what's his name? L. Ron Hubbard. He was an occultist. You know, a lot of people don't know that. But he, he was a student of Crowley, you know, with Jack Parsons. They were friends. Back, Jack Parsons from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, later to become NASA. You know, these people. I, I think it's interesting that L. Ron Hubbard, you know, was a student of magic and then starts writing science fiction. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he was writing science fiction, but yeah, uh, what he learns in magic, he kind of applies in the real world and starts this massive religion cult, really. I was only impressed when they managed to get uh, Hank von Helveter, the singer in Turbo Negro, off of heroin. Right. Because he, he was abusing heroin and now he's clean. Well, that's good. Because they brainwashed him, I suppose. Well, right. They... They don't like drugs. They they don't like the pharmaceutical industry, and uh, they think every terrible thing that's ever happened has been because of psychology. Drugs. Yeah, psychology. <laughs> they have a. They don't claim it outright as theirs, but in Los Angeles, they they have a museum of death or museum of death, of the industry of psychology or something, and it's a, like a little tour that you could take. You go in. I think I think it's free. And they, they start by showing you a film and they lock you in it in this little theater. And then you have to, you know, it's like a maze, you know, like you have to go through. And there's a part where you could like electroshock somebody and they it's pretty great. And then at the end of it, they try and sign you up to Scientology. But it's thinly veiled. It's like the, what is there? The, it's called the like Center for Human Rights sinner yeah it's something like that but it's scientology about the process church of the final judgment uh, yeah. i read somewhere that charles manson supposedly was a member but that doesn't seem to be the case no he's no. been connected to them yeah so loosely and, and poorly um they were in san francisco at the same time manson was in san francisco and uh so this was before i'm pretty sure it was before they went to the spawn ranch and ended up living there. So this is probably when, I don't know, he was hanging out with Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys, Charles Manson was. I think Dennis Wilson went to the Spawn Ranch. But anyways, no, they, I th they had a, 
the process church of the final judgment had a chapter in San Francisco. Apparently Manson turned up there one day and they shoot him away. They didn't like they, they weren't really about that life. You know, the process processions, they, they were pretty straight, you know, they weren't like drugged out hippies. I mean, I think they, they were weird, you know, but they weren't Manson weird. You know what I mean? One of your songs is um, partly about Charles Manson. It's called Die at 69. Yes. Um, wh- why do you think those tragedies from you know, 50 years ago still cast some kind of spell on pop culture? Well, really, it was, if you think about it, it's the beginning of... It, it, it was like year zero, 1968, 69. It was the beginning of, of a, a, the, the, the death of that hippie scene where you know, people really started to see hippies as violent, you know, kind of more than just like gentle, benign stoners, you know, it was like, oh shit, you know, these, these people, they've murdered, you know, a pregnant woman, Uh, not just any woman, Sharon Tate, you know, so it kind of was just a wake up call. And if you look at what happens after that, uh, it's affected everything. It seems like it just, you, you have, you know, serial killers in the seventies and spree killers and, It just seemed like a bloody way to start um, the 70s, you know. Yeah, I think of it as, you know, and, and look at Manson. He's like, he, he's Christ-like. He seems like Christ. He has his disciples. Uh, he's like the anti-Christ, you know. He's like Christ, but the opposite. He's What? calling for war. He's calling for helter-skelter. You know, he's using rock music as a weapon. It's great. When the Tarantino movie came out last year, one of my friends wrote a big article about... The, the Manson family, and he managed to get a phone interview with Squeaky, yeah. the girl who later on was arrested for trying to shoot the president, Ford, Ford, I think. Yeah. yeah, she didn't have any bullets in her gun, though. No, no, she was <laughs> she hope, hopeless as an assassin. <laughs> but, but anyway, she, um, she told him that, uh, she told my friend that, well, what Charlie was all about was the environment. Basically, yeah. what we were trying to do back in the 60s is exactly the same thing that Greta Thunberg is doing now. Yeah. Which is... Well, Atwa, I think he calls it, air trees, water animals or something. Yeah, he's still about, or he was, I mean, he just passed, but yeah. It was, were, it was pretty funny to see poor Greta being connected to the Manson family. Well, I think Adolf Hitler ran on an environmental platform as well. Yeah, that's true. It, being an environmentalist doesn't make you a good person. It just means that you want, you, it might mean that you don't like other people. I don't know. Speaking of Satanism and stuff, I just realized, and I... I I'm not, you know, into numerology or anything. I just realized that this is episode number 66 of this podcast series. Is it the sixth season as well? Uh, unfortunately, well, it is. But, but not, we, we, <laughs> we haven't done 66 episodes in this season. It's, it is season number six, and this is episode 66. Well, we'll make it 666 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> This next song is called Places of Light by a great krautrock band called Brain Ticket.
I've listened to a lot of crowd rock, but I've never heard about um, Brain Ticket, actually. It's probably because uh, they were pretty obscure, but the guy, the, the first album had a warning on it. And that's how I found out about him. Yeah, I, I actually read the warning here. Uh, yeah. It says, only listen to this once a day. Your brain might be destroyed. And after listening to this record, your friends may not know you anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and this is in like the height of like the LSD, like kind of hippie counterculture movement that came out of uh, post-war, you know, Europe. And... Yeah, that's. I, I came across the LP when I was working at a, a different record store called The Landing, and I was like, this is great. I can't believe that it has this warning on it, you know. So, of course, I listened to it right away, and it was, it was great. I know that you did a lot of acid in, in your teens. Well, yeah. Did that make you more interested in this kind of German experimental music? Oh, yeah, probably. I don't know um, if that is the reason why. But yeah, I like psychedelic stuff. I mean, it's not like I have, not like my apartment's like filled with black light, black light paintings or anything like that. But um, no, I definitely, I took a lot of acid when I was young. I took like my body weight in, in LSD, probably. It, over the years, you know, and uh, I feel like it's changed the way I see see some things and hear some things, but I don't take it at all now. I think I've I've dipped in more than a toe into that world, and it can it can really you know mess with your perceptions. Have you had time. any problems with like flashbacks? When, when you no, get... I don't think that's true. I don't think that. Uh, Is that a myth? I think it's a myth. I think that's a it's a scare tactic to get people to never try it. It's funny that you, you've done a lot of acid, but the music that you make is very, very far from, you know, <laughs> psychedelic or flipped out in that way. It's, uh, it's pretty, you know, straight yeah. and strict. Yeah, I think, that, I think that might be another myth about that drug is that it's going to make you make this like really kind of Pink Floyd-esque, you know, quadraphonic kind of weird tripped out sound, but... You know, that's not how it worked on me. It works different on everybody, I think, after time. You know, I... Uh, you know, if, if I were to yeah. connect the music that you make as King Dude with some drug, I would think like, well, whiskey and speed. But yeah, not, that's, not, that's pretty but, accurate. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, amphetamines and whiskey. Yeah, that's n nothing wrong with that. But um, I, I try not to, you know be too much of anything on any of these songs you know like uh you don't want to end up just letting drugs control what you make you know you want to be able and i think at the core the center the center of any kind of music music or uh, music made by any musician is it's still the artist in there somewhere you know even if they're under the influence of heroin or something yeah i think it's still them they just think that they need it there's not a lot of acid on the neo folk scene, right? No, no, right. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, like I said, I, I don't really feel like I'm part of that scene. I get called that a lot, but and I play with some of those bands sometimes, but I'm always the black sheep. Let's listen to one of the 
neo-folkish bands, The Moon Lay Hidden Beneath a Cloud. Yeah. What's this track called? Well, the other songs were untitled. So I think this is maybe the 13th untitled song that they released. But I love it. It's it's great. And it, it's amazing. So this is The Moon Lay Hidden Beneath a Cloud. And this song is untitled. <laughs> Subtitle: Children's Crusade. Yeah, the, the lyrics seem to be something about like some sort of uh, medieval. Well, everything about that band was like medi- medieval Christian uh, uh, something or other. But yeah, about some children that have to retake Jerusalem uh, as the Crusaders failed to do. So it, it, I, I think that actually happened. I think it is based yeah, on they, something. There were kids who went on on crusades and they like died after. Yeah. <laughs> a few miles from <laughs> the plague or whatever. Right. They're just being children in, in medieval times. Yeah. So that's what that song's about. It's a good one. And they were from Austria. The yeah. Moon Lay Hidden Beneath the Cloud. Yeah. Er- I, early 90s band. Yeah. Uh, Alvin Julius, uh, who did, went on to do Dubluthash, who's a friend of mine. And uh, we're going to be doing some collaborative music together he's very good uh so he did the music side of that and then uh Alsbeth, the singer just wrote the lyrics into the singing part this sounds both like you know holy and threatening at yeah. the same time and i guess that kind of typifies like that martial uh sort of industrial neo-folk crossover sound it's also quite european yeah in a way whereas you have you know more of a whiskey flavor too right i think it'd be a little mixed up with this be uh, you know a little fake if i tried to do some you know european thing but i'm looking forward to doing the collaborative stuff with alvin he's he's a mad scientist of a musician You wrote the song Death Won't Take Me from the perspective of Ray Kurzweil, yeah, the, Raymond, Go, Google's head of innovation who um, is financing transhumanist technologies so that mm. the human conscience will be able to cheat death. Yeah, what a mess. Why? Well, it's a very human you know, urge to stay alive, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also, I think, a very human urge to die <laughs> but Raymond Kurzweil doesn't share that uh, belief I you know I, I think of more of like Carl Jung or, or Joseph Campbell or somebody like that who th- talks about like living your entire life and living it well throughout all ages and you know as you get older you come to your sunset you know and you you pass away with grace you know I think there, there should be that should be something that people strive for not uploading their consciousness into a cloud whatever that means and then downloading it to some computer or ai or you know robot some sort of 
It just seems mad. Or a clone of yourself. Nightmare. What a nightmare. I mean, that's just... I don't know. Do you know much about cloning? Not really, no. Uh, there's a good... There's this uh, American podcast. I'm sure you know about it. Uh, this American Life. Yeah. And they did a television version of it, like a TV series. You should watch the episode of it where they, they... This farmer clones his favorite bull... And the bull he gets, you know, his bull is dying. He, he and he wanted that same bull, and he clones it, and it's just not the same. <laughs> Even though it should technically be the exact same animal, like literally, there's something very different about this bull, and it's angry, and it it's violent, and it's 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 interesting though, because he, I, I think that I don't know nature versus nurture. We can't. I'm not sure that we could just be cloned and. You know, how would that even work? And really, when it comes down to it, you're talking about bringing back, like, the Olympian gods. And if you've read any of those old stories, those Greek myths, the gods weren't very cool. They were fucking dickheads. And I don't think we want those kind of people roaming around the planet. But if if, uh, for some reason... You would pass away. Yeah, a lot of King Dude fans would be able to clone you because you've done these blood <laughs> paintings that you've been selling. Oh, it's lately. not my blood, though. It's not your blood. No, no, no. Oh. Yeah, the blood paintings. It's not my blood. It's, I think it's cow's blood, but it's whatever I can get at the Ica. It's not blood. Okay, I thought you were sitting at home cutting yourself in your arm, being like no. very black metalish. <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. No way. No, I like my blood just where it's at. And I, I think that would be like a nice gift to a to a friend or something. I did have a fan write write in and say, and she was wondering if I could do a painting in her blood if she sent it to me. And I said, yeah, maybe maybe not. Let's let's pass on that. I discovered your music quite late, uh, about four years ago. My, my friend Frida got married to her boyfriend Johan, and uh, they asked me to DJ at the wedding. Mm. And they really, really wanted me to play Be Free, your duet oh, with nice. Chelsea Wolfe at the party. It's a pretty dark love song. I think so. That's an odd choice of theirs. But yeah, they must be pretty dark characters. They're pre- yeah, they're very cheery and positive as well. But they, um, they sure like darkness. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but you haven't written any songs, especially for weddings. But there's a very tender funeral song on your latest record, Full Virgo Moon. Yeah. Uh, and it's called The Funeral Song for Atheists. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, you know, well, my sister, my little sister kind of helped me write that song because she was just in my apartment and she wouldn't leave and I was trying to write music. So I was like, okay, well, you know, sit at the piano and um, we're going to write a song. And so she helped me with come up with the initial melody and she's an atheist. And so I think it just kind of came from that. You know, I feel bad for atheists not having uh, good music to play at their funerals. You know they 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 don't like churches so much. So I was thinking maybe write them a write them a nice funeral song. It starts with the line, "Oh death, you filthy whore! I crave you more and more." <laughs> yeah, I mean, still a, it's very gentle. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's maybe not the best for a funeral now that I think about it, but it seemed like it worked at the time. It made sense. Um, well, because yeah, maybe atheists don't really look at death the same way as a, as a religious person. I wanted to ask you about uh, Alan Lomax, the yeah. American 
producer or recorder who recorded a lot of, who did field recordings in the 40s yeah. and 50s, recording blues artists everywhere across the US. Yeah. And I, I know that you've mentioned his stuff on a few occasions, you know, the sound quality, which is sometimes very, you know, simple or even bad. Yeah. That it creates a special... It's almost like a character on the songs. And a lot of those songs that he recorded too, uh, not only were they recorded in like a prison yard with, a, you know, just a simple reel-to-reel tape machine and a micro, probably a handheld microphone, um, there's no other instruments. It's just the sound, the background sound and somebody singing, you know. The, that song Barbara Allen, that's, they don't know the prisoner that sings it and the tape runs out at the end. It's one of my favorite recordings of all time because it's so raw and it's not intentional, but you could hear the tape kind of running, you know, running out at the end and then all of a sudden it just ends. I, lo- I love stuff like that. Some, some of your stuff like um, Lucifer's The Light of the World, that song, yeah. it, you know, it could be a, like a prison gang song or a, right. people singing it on a, you know, slaves on a cotton field or something. Sure, like um, a chain gang. Yeah, like a chain gang thing. And it's almost as if, but you wrote that song, right? It's not a folk song where you switched no, Jesus I, to Lucifer. No, no, yeah, I wrote it. But it's, it's, uh, it is like... It sounds ancient. It's based on a gospel song. Like, uh, it's based on John the Revelator by Sunhouse, which I probably should have put on this uh, list of songs because that's probably one of the most inspirational songs because it inspired that song. But, it, uh, you know, Sunhouse is, was the greatest, I think, blues musician that ever lived. I picked another bluesy gospel song called Jesus on the Main Line by James Shorty and Viola James. This is an Alan Lomax recording as well. Yeah, Alan Lomax took his son with him all the time on these, like John Lomax. And John ended up kind of doing the same thing. And in fact, he ended up playing uh, uh, blues, country blues as well. Just inspired, like, because he grew up around it. And I don't think Alan Lomax was ever a musician. He was just trying to record this stuff because he knew it would go away. He knew it would die with the people that played it. So he just wanted to preserve it. And I guess he was kind of a prick. I don't know. I heard he, he, he didn't really think much of the people that played it. Oh, he never yeah. paid anyone either. Right? He didn't pay anyone, no. I think. Yeah. Still, this song, I heard it. The first version I heard was by Jerry Lee Lewis, who does a ah. you know, great version of Jesus on the Main Line. And it's, it's funny because no one really seems to know who wrote it, but it must have been around the time when the telephone was a new invention. Right. Because it's about calling up Jesus and talking to him. So it's like, you know, you know a precursor to <laughs> personal Jesus by Depeche Mode, yeah, where yeah. You, you telephone Jesus. and. Well, I think that that, yeah, goes to the that fundamental Christian... Christian movement, right? In the America where it's like, you know, you phone in to donate. That's yeah. what they were talking about. 
But that's funny that the Jesus on the main line goes all the way back. Did you know when they invented telephones, they used to take out ads that in uh, the phone book and they like put up posters and stuff uh, that that encourage people not to scream into the telephone that they didn't have to shout because they people like literally thought they had to yell because the other person's far away and it was like blown <laughs> out the ears of operators did you know that uh, yeah well that's you know you know quite a natural way to react right i think my grandparents or my grand grandparents thought that people were living inside the radio <laughs> so <laughs> the spirit box the spirit box <laughs> Yeah, this song is by a really great Swedish band called The Leather Nun, and this song is called Insam Einat. It's funny you should pick The Leather Nun. Not, you know, many people in Sweden realize that they had a, quite a following abroad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of punks like them, you know, I don't know how, they got weird, you know, they kind of got like all like, this like, kind of like, slinky heroin vibe towards the end, you know, uh, the the later stuff. Yeah, they got into this whole Hells Angels yeah. image thing where they wanted to wear leather pants and rock out. Right, and it kind of got, it changed, you know, it didn't stay that punk, but this, you know, Swedish punk music is pretty legendary amongst you know, punks and hardcore kids in, in America. There's a lot of good bands. And this song is from 1979. Some, early, very early. And some the, yeah. the bass player here is one of probably the greatest Swedish rock vocalist ever, Freddy Badling. Oh, okay. Who, um, he doesn't sing on this track, I think. Uh, he just plays the bass. But that bass line is perfect. And it start, it's so good, they start with the bass line. Well, Frederick, I have to push on. But you're not leaving the country, are you? You're no, we're going to stay here. We're going to stay in uh, undisclosed location here in Stockholm, and uh, you know, just hopefully explore all the the great things that uh, you have to offer, like the like the Stockholm bloodbath uh, history tour. That's one of the only few good things about the Corona epidemic that King Dude is. Stuck in Stockholm, just yeah. staying here. Try and find me. I'm out there somewhere. It's like, where's Waldo? You know, you should perform in the streets. You know, just without Busking. that many yeah. people, just on a. Not a bad idea. Right it was now. a true pleasure to have you here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It's a pleasure's mine. Thank you. Den här podcasten producerades av Daniel Bäckström för Leon Media. King Dude var hemma hos dragen. Hej! 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tells me he's 93 When all this 45 say 666 Don't believe in the Christmas All this 45 say 666 45 say 666 With his girl on his arm He'd been two years gone from the farm In the big city living just like Bonnie and Clyde Turning tricks of the devil into dollar signs Turning tricks of the devil into dollar signs me he's 93 broomstick in the hands of a Six, 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 six